Amen. If you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to 1 Samuel, and let's go to chapter 16. And normally I do two chapters on Wednesday night, uh, just going through the Old Testament. But when you come to chapter 16, uh, we know that King Saul uh, has been disobedient. And so the Lord has taken his uh, kingdom away. And uh, now he's uh, going to ordain, he's going to anoint uh, King David. But David's a young man at this time. King Saul has failed at his call. Yes, God called him and anointed him uh, to be the first king of Israel. King Saul has the same decision uh, that we all have, and that is uh, we have a free will to choose uh, from right or from wrong. He also had the same as all of us, and that is the responsibility uh, to the call. He was disobedient to the Lord. Interesting that Saul, in the beginning, was fearful. He, he was scared. He was humbled. He was even hiding uh, from the call. Uh, then he accepts God's call, and then we see the disobedience. In our call, we need to always guard uh, the heart. Because the enemy is out there ready to lure us back uh, to the miry pit that the Lord drew us from. Now, I'm going to give you a few references if you're taking notes. In Matthew chapter 4, before Jesus began his public ministry, he goes and fasts and he prays. And we know that the devil comes and tempts him. The devil comes and tests him uh, three times. Now, we can respond to that and say, well, he's the son of God, the savior of the world. But he was also in his humanity. And so Jesus was tempted just as you and I would be tempted. You need to remind ourselves in John chapter 15, Jesus teaches of the doctrine, I believe, of abiding in Christ. The word to abide in the Greek, it means to stay in Christ or to remain in Christ. And so Saul, of uh, the king of Israel at this time, was not staying in God. And so many times I see that uh, in the Christian circles. Now, when we come to Christ, when we come uh, to saving grace, I, I don't know what people told you to prepare you uh, to come in uh, to the kingdom of God. Listen, come to Christ. Everything is going to be, you know, beautiful. Everything is going to be perfect. Well, I have news for you. Christianity is not, you know, peaches and cream. There are tri trials and tribulation. There are hardship and pain. I've, I've been with pastors that are new, and, and, you know, we've been seasoned, some of my friends and myself. And so when they come into the to ministry, they're all happy. They're all, you know, joyful and such. And, and really, they haven't hit the wall yet, as they say. And uh, we've stood there at conferences, and then the guys are always talking about their trials. Pray for me on this, pray for me on that. And uh, every now and then, there's a youngster, and uh, he's just in the ministry, and everything's going great. And then he looks at all of us, and he says, I don't have any trials. And it's almost simultaneously, 15 hands will lay uh, on top of his shoulder. And at the same time, we're saying, I'll pray for you. At the other hand, we're going, hang on. It's coming because the trials are there. And so without Christ, we're not going to make it. 
And so I, I like what you guys listen to Pancho Juarez, his favorite. It's not about kumbaya. He always says that, you know, we think, oh, we're, you know, just dancing around singing that song. It's about trials and tribulation. And the whole purpose is that God's chipping away the old man. God is chipping away the old woman. And he's building character in us. And I know it's hard to conceive, but I want you to see this now because Saul uh, failed miserably in this area. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 is a scripture uh, that I've always cringed at. And so Paul writes to the church at Philippi, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Radical statement. Radical statement. And so we just don't come to Christ and, and you know, it's all done. It's, it's everything's ready now. Uh, there's trials and tribulations and we're going to be tested. And so we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Now listen, years ago, that scripture just floored me. It, it got a hold of me. I literally began to walk around on eggshells, as they say. But then God ministers to your heart. And you realize that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest a man should boast. And if it wasn't for God's grace, all of us would fail. But it's the grace of God that sustains us. And we have an advocate with the Father, and that is Christ a lawyer for our defense. And so we're all going to fail, but we need to have John chapter 15. If I abide in him, if I stay in him, he will abide in me. It's a two-way street. And we've mentioned this many times. Don't, you know, come and tell me you're born again of the Holy Spirit, and then you're still fornicating, you're still committing adultery, uh, you're still stealing, you're still getting drunk, and, 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 you know, committing the sins that you always committed. There has to be change. There has to be a transformation. Now, listen to the text here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul the Apostle writes, Concerning our temptations, our testings, in my life, in your life, God knows what I can handle. God knows what you can handle. God knows the temptations that are going to come my way, the testings in my life, in your life. But according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he will never give us any more than we can handle. And so many times I've thrown up my hands and I say, Lord, I can't handle it anymore. But God knows uh, the measure of my life. And he knows if I can handle a hard trial or, or a soft trial. And they're all trials. And I'm convinced that in the beginning of your walk with Christ, uh, the trials is, are not as harsh until you continue to progress. And it seems like they get tougher and tougher. And, and we've always shared this. The scriptures say it rains on the just and on the unjust. Uh, what amazes me is some of the pastor friends I have, and I see their trials, and I go, wow. And then they look at my trials, and they say, wow. And, and so, you know, we're always quick to look at somebody else's dilemma. And sometimes you guys face that too. I'm going through this, you're going through that. And then I see a sister come up or a brother come up and, and they're even being hit harder. And so trials are there. And the scripture says that uh, God's building uh, patience in me. He's building character in me. And so in my opinion, Saul did not take heed to the warnings. And yet Samuel was there. 
Samuel was there to, to counsel with him. Samuel was there to speak to him. And so last week when uh, he brought back King Agag, he brought him back as a trophy. And then he brought back uh, the choice sheep. And the quick, uh, the quick response, he says, what are you doing? I hear the bleating of the sheep. He goes, oh, the people did that that went with me. And then I brought the sheep for, you know, offerings to the Lord. But God said, go and destroy the Amalekites. Utterly destroy them. Men, women, and children, and the animals. He was disobedient. He was disobedient. And so, you know, we can question, because I have in time past, Lord, men, women, children, the animals too. Because generally, uh, when they siege, when they took a siege upon uh, a nation, they took the spoils. But in this case, God said, destroy the Amalekites. And remember the conclusion of last week? There's King Agag thinking that he got away with it. And then Samuel reaches over and takes the sword of Saul. And he says, this is what you were supposed to do. And the scripture says he hacked King Agag to death. God is a God of, of, to the point. If he says to do something, we have to do it. We have to be obedient. And this is something I've learned through the years. Am I always obedient? No. Are you? No. But that's where the grace of God comes in. But when we continue to do it uh, almost on purpose or, you know, I have carte blanche. I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to confess my sins. He's faithful. He's just. Be careful with that logic. Because sooner or later, you're going to find yourself in a deep heap of trouble. The Holy Spirit has been given to us, as was the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But yes, it was, he was, you know, in certain places, excuse me, certain places at certain times, certain individuals. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Saul. And so he should have relied upon the Holy Spirit to lead him and to guide him into all truth. We have the advantage of the Holy Spirit in my life in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And all we have to do is plug in. The Holy Spirit will teach me. The Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. And the best thing I love about the Holy Spirit, not that he... That's not the best. He does teach us, but he brings conviction. He brings conviction. It's almost immediate when I do something, I say something, and the Holy Spirit says, Bob, what are you doing? And so we need to take heed to that. Uh, Samuel was the prophet of Israel. He was there for King Saul. But it just seems like King Saul wanted to do it his way. And I think that's a very dangerous position. Now, David's going to come into the picture. The question has always been brought up. Did Saul go to heaven? When we get there, look him up. I can't answer that. I don't know. Uh, I'm worried about me getting to heaven. I hope you're worried about you getting to heaven. Because you think you're going to be in heaven going, you know, where's so-and-so? And then, we're, oh, they didn't make it. No, you're not going to know that. You're going to be there to worship the Lord. 
And so let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 16 now. David anointed king. In verse 1, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? He loved Saul. He says, seeing I have rejected him uh, from reigning over Israel. And so God says it plainly. And he says, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king. I have provided myself a king among his sons. Now, it's interesting because Saul was basically chosen by the people. The people wanted a king. And Samuel argued the point. God was their king. God was their rule. God was their covering. And God said, they want a king like the other nations. Give them the king. But now God says, in a sense, I told you so. Saul has failed. But I love that he says here, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And we're going to see that King David was not a saint. But what I love about King David, the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. And when you go to Psalm 51, if you've never studied it, you've never read it, you've never meditated upon it, it is a psalm of repentance. David had a repented heart. Now he's mourning for him. I want you to take this note down because we're all going to, you know, be in a situation where we're mourning and there's a time to mourn. There's a time to laugh. And the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter three, Solomon writes, uh, there is a time for everything. But then there's a time to move on. God has a plan. Uh, David is next in line. One commentary said this as we begin uh, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 16. God will never allow his work to die. I like that. Uh, with the death or the failure of a man. It was the failure of, of Saul. If it is God's work... It's, it goes beyond any man. Perhaps Samuel was paralyzed uh, with mourning because of Saul's uh, tragic rebellion. But God was not paralyzed. The work will continue. And I read that to you, but I was, I'm not convinced that uh, Samuel was paralyzed by the rebellion. Uh, I think Samuel did not expect it. But I, I, I want to say this. Samuel loved Saul. He really loved Saul. And he did not want to see this happen. As, as a good leader, doesn't ever want to see anybody fall. And so the judgment has come now uh, upon Saul. Notice now in verse 2, And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You know, why would Samuel be concerned about Saul? You need to obey what God's telling you to do. But this just shows you the heart uh, that Saul had. And so uh, you can easily say that Samuel was being cautious. Uh, we know God will not allow, uh, you know, for Samuel to be killed. 
But listen to the strategy here. Uh, The Lord says, you know, get a heifer, get a cow, uh, and take it for the sacrifice. So uh, he doesn't want Saul to know at this time. He will find out later. He says, I want you to go and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. Uh, You shall anoint for me uh, the one that I named to you. I like that. And so Samuel really doesn't know yet, but he knows it's somebody uh, from the family of Jesse. And what you're going to see here is that whole situation. He begins to parade all the sons. And naturally, you start at the oldest one. He's the more mature one and such. And uh, most people expect that. And God keeps saying, no, no, no. But God will take one down, and he will rise another one up. I want you to write down this scripture. I've shared this with some of you. In Psalm 75, verse 7, he says, God is the judge. He puts down one, and he exalts another. This was a particular scripture that God gave to me in my heart directly. Back in 1982, when we moved here, I already knew there was another pastor here. I already knew that a Calvary Chapel had got started. It was very young. It was in its infant stage. They were meeting at Incantada Park. I had made communication. Because originally I was going to come out on my own. Because God said, go to New Mexico. Go to Las Cruces. Uh, It's all in my testimony. And so when I uh, found out there was a pastor here, you don't know the pressure that took off of me. I was elated. Oh, great. I don't have to be the pastor. I'll go and support him. And so Mary and I moved out here after uh, coming to spy the land about three times. And so here we are supporting the pastor nine months to the day. I had no clue. He comes to me and he says, I'm going home. He hands me the books, he hands me the keys, he hands me everything. I was dumbfounded. I says, you can't go home. I just got here. No, you take over the church. I said, well, this is what God's telling you, but he hasn't spoken to me. And so I'm thinking, I'll go to El Paso. I'm going to do something else. And so in my praying, God gave me this psalm. Directly. And honestly, I probably read it, but I never really capitalized on it. But that night, God said, I want you to read Psalm 75. He just spoke to my heart and I started reading. When I got to verse 7, I didn't have to read any further. He will take one down and he will raise another one up. And I felt the spirit of the Lord say, that's you. And we've been here ever since. And, you know, that pastor's moved on. And they moved to Las Vegas and such. And I didn't want to see him go. Because I didn't want the charge of the ministry. I was content of being a servant. I was content of being second. And so now David is going to find himself in exactly that position. And so notice verse 4 now. So Samuel did what the Lord said. And he went to Bethlehem. And and the elders of the town trembled. Listen to this. Remember, Samuel's a prophet. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming. And they said, do you come peaceably? 
We've shared this many times. When a prophet came into your city in the time of the Old Testament, he came for two reasons. Number one, he's coming to bless you. But if you're in sin and you know you're in sin, he's coming to curse you. And so I'm wondering what's going on in Bethlehem at this point. Because the elders come, do you come peaceably? And so uh, Samuel is either loved or hated. And I was remembering the prophets. And I was thinking about Jeremiah. And let me give you just a little history on Jeremiah. He was called the weeping prophet. He had no converts during the years of ministry. He was hated uh, by the people. Uh, He was beaten and he was placed in stocks. Study Jeremiah chapter 20. He was mocked. Uh, He was cast into muddy cisterns. and, And they blamed him for the drought in Jeremiah chapter 38. You can read all of this. So you can understand when they say, do you come peaceably? And so verse 5 says, and he said, peaceably I come. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Uh, Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons. Uh, The word sanctification here and the word consecrated are basically the same in the Hebrew. And he says, invited them to the sacrifice. Now, sanctification for us uh, means to be set apart for God. In the Old Testament, there's a little different meaning. Uh, It means to change your clothes, wash your bodies in purified water. You have to go through the rituals and the rites. Prepare your hearts, your mind, meditate on God, uh, reflect on God, a time of prayer. Be in the spirit of sacrifice that your offering may be acceptable to God. And so there was a lot of washing rites in the time of the Old Testament. But for us, to be sanctified is to be separate, is to be set aside. And to be consecrated for us is to be consecrated to God. Now, it's interesting to me, uh, all of this ritual in the Old Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, remember the communion table? And remember some were coming, uh, there was an agape feast, and then they would combine the agape feast with the communion table. Uh, But Paul uh, chastens the Corinthians. He says, some of you are coming drunk uh, to the communion table. And so he has that whole section of self-examination. We need to be right with God. Yes, I'm born again of the Holy Spirit. And yes, I've come to saving grace. But I'm still a sinner. And you are still a sinner. And the scripture says, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Especially if you're going to come into the house of God. Especially if you're going to come to the communion table. Especially if you're going to do a service for the Lord. You want to be a cleansed vessel. I want God to hear my prayers. I'm out in the world just like you are. And so there has to be cleansing and washing and emptying of ourselves. And you can see the similarities there. These guys would bathe. They would wash. I mean, there was all kinds of rites that they had to do. And so prepare yourself for the sacrifice. Look at verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord anointed is before him. 
Samuel looked, and I want you to pay attention to this, he looked at the outside as we generally do. Eliab is the oldest son. He's the first son. It's the standard that they would use in the Old Testament. I find it intriguing that God very rarely used the firstborn. He always used the last, the second, the middle. You see, because God didn't work that way. God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And so, you know, Samuel is just like anybody else. It's got to be Eliab. I mean, he's the firstborn. And we're going to see that it goes right down the line. And so in verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. We've already looked at this, but I want you to mark it down. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. God had chosen a man after his own heart. And we know that that man is going to be David. Paul brings this back in the book of Acts in chapter 13, verse 22. Paul says it was David. David was not allowed to build the temple. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. David, to cover his sin with Bathsheba, had her husband Uriah killed. But I love what Paul says, that David was a man after God's own heart. You see, I look at that, and you look at that, but what about adultery? He he was a man of bloodied hands. He wasn't allowed to build a temple. And yet God saw his heart. You see, God sees your heart. God sees my heart. And so Saul's heart was not there from the beginning. But this God said, this is what you guys want? You want a king like the other nations? You got it. Be careful when you keep asking God and you're expecting whatever it is. I hope you pray, Lord, I'm asking you for this, Lord, but I want your will. Because trust me, if you get what you want, it's not going to work you will be miserable. Then you will be crying out to God six months later, Lord, take this away from me. You want God's will. I know a lot of people don't like that. But look at verse 8 now. So Jesse called Abinadab, this is the next son, made him pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shaman pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And so this is the ritual that it's going through. Then Jesse made, listen to this, uh, seven of his sons passed before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Seven of them. Now I'm wondering about the other sons. Were they hearing, I'm rejected? They don't want me? The first one, uh, the first son, Eliab, hey, I'm number one son. I'm tall, dark, and handsome. Come on. God said no. Uh, Remember how they chose Saul? He was shoulder and head over everybody. He stood out. It's got to be him. 
All these guys are 5'6", five, 5'8". Five, Here's a six-footer. Come on, we need him. We're going to start up a basketball team anyway, you know. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. God went through all seven. There's one more son. I, I was thinking number seven is God's number. It's the number of perfection. You go through scripture, God works in multiples of seven. The number eight, which is David, is the number of new beginnings. You see, we always think in, in the natural man, the natural woman, but God thinks in the spiritual. God thinks in the spiritual. In verse 11 now, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all these young men here? Are all the young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is, uh, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, uh, send and bring him, uh, for we will not sit down to eat, basically, until he comes here. And so what is Samuel thinking of at this point? This has to be the one. The others were uh, not chosen, yet they were the older ones. They were the mature ones. And, and David basically is just a pup. He's just a youngster. Now, uh, we know that David did not fit in Saul's armor, remember, against Goliath. We're going to see that next week. But David is not mature. Now, in the Jewish culture, the Jewish mind, uh, you were not considered a man until you were 20, uh, 30 years old. You know, we go by 18. You guys remember when you were 18? You thought, that's it. I know what I'm doing. No, you don't. We're stupid. We're idiots. And we get to be 21. Now I know. No, you don't. It's not till you have some kids coming your way and you got some payments. And then all of a sudden, what's going on here? What happened to my teen years? What happened to my early 20s? And then all of a sudden, maturity is part of your life. And so David is a youngster. We don't know how old he is. But God already has his eyes on him. But he's a, a baby compared to the brothers. So verse 12, so he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy, which means reddish, with bright eyes and a good looking kid. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Now in the, the Hebrew, uh, David was reddish. Was it about his hair or was it about his complexion? Uh, it could go either way. Uh, I'm thinking that his hair was, uh, you know, towards the reddish area because he would have been olive skin uh, in the Middle East. But either way, God chose him. And, and I want you to see the contrast. Saul was tall and, and handsome, Mr. GQ, uh, head and shoulders over everybody. And, and here's David, just a little runt. And God says, that's the one. That's the one. And again, I have to question, what are, the, what are the brothers saying? David? David? Come on, he doesn't even know how to clean his nose yet. But this is what God wants. You see, God was looking in the future. God was looking ahead. David was a man after God's own heart. I, I believe that the scriptures teach us 
it says that before God formed us in my mother's womb, he knew us. And, and it's really sad because we go through this whole lifetime sometimes and we don't realize that God has chosen us. God has called us. I mean, I didn't come into the ministry until I was in my 30s. And, and that was very difficult because, uh, come on, there's a lot of young guys. And yet God has a plan. God has a purpose. Now, was it God's fault I didn't come to the Lord at, in my 20s and, and, you know, get ready and start in the ministry? No. It's my fault. It's your fault. We have this tendency to meander all over the place until we finally find, you know, what God wants from us. And so verse 13 is powerful. Then Samuel took the horn of oil. It's a flask of oil. Uh, how much, uh, you know, how much is a ram's horn? Is it a quart of oil? Is it uh, a pint? I mean, we put a dab of oil here at the chapel. And so, again, Psalm 133, when they anointed Aaron, it ran from the top of his head uh, through his beard and saturated. And it shows us the picture of the Holy Spirit coming upon you completely and totally. And so Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. You see, in the times of the Old Testament again, the Holy Spirit was selective. In Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Holy Spirit comes in you. And those who uh, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's the next preposition. It's called the ap experience, the upon experience. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it doesn't, you don't have to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon. Uh, ask for the Spirit of God to come upon you. And He will give you what we read in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you shall be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. And if you look at the word dunamis, uh, it's the upon experience. That word dunamis is power, and the word power designates, he enables me. He gives me boldness. He gives me such faith, and he just builds that on you. Uh, what happened to me years ago is I uh, wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And listen, you've heard me say it. I wanted it for the purpose of speaking in tongues. And, and yet that is the least of the gifts. There are so many other gifts that God wants to bestow upon you. But I want you to see that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and then he goes to Ramah. Saul was still on the throne. He's not removed yet. Saul was still king of Israel, yet God has chosen another, which is David. In the next few chapters, we will see that Saul does not want to let go. Listen, Satan, as Saul here, does not like to let go. He will hold on as long as he can. He will hold on forever. That's why many times we struggle so much. And so we have to pray. We have to fast. We have to have self-examination. We have to claim the promises of God. 
listen, the older I am in Christ now, I can honestly tell you, greater the temptations. And I cringe every time a pastor falls. I cringe every time a pastor runs off with one of the ladies in the chapel. It happens all the time. And Calvary Chapel is not uh, exempt from that. Costa Mesa has to deal with that just like any of the other churches. And so the enemy is ruthless. And he has Saul exactly where he wants him. Don't let go, Saul. And Saul's going to turn into a tyrant. Some believe that Saul became demon-possessed. Even ends up at the Witch of Endor. And he knew better than that. He wanted to kill David so bad. And David loved and respected his king. In fact, he had ample times that he could have taken uh, Saul out. And he would not touch. Remember the passage? I will not touch God's anointed. God has to remove him. Not you. Not me. Uh, not Samuel, not David, God will do it. And so we have to let him uh, take the charge. I want you to turn to this passage because, again, we will all struggle. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He teaches in this area of humility cures worldliness. I'm in Christ, you're in Christ. I'm in the ministry, other pastors are in the ministry. But the enemy's out there. And the enemy is on a search and destroy mission. And if we're weak, and we all are weak at one time or another, and if we're not prayed up, if we're not reading and studying our scriptures, if we leave an opening, the enemy finds a way to get in there. I mean, let's go back to the Jim Bakers. Let's go back uh, to the Jimmy Swaggerts. And, and the list goes on. And, and I thank the Lord these guys have repented. But they're all tempted. They're all tested. And some of them fall. And I'll tell you what. Sometimes you look at a huge ministry. And sometimes you look at the big bucks coming in and you say, yeah, that's what I want. Uh, be careful. Don't be so sure. Are you ready for the attacks of the enemy? Uh, I look back at, at our home church. Uh, my pastor, Pastor Rawl, I love him dearly. That man goes through trials. He goes through trials. Pastor Chuck, he went through so many trials. And so we're not exempt. And so James chapter 4, look at verse 7. Therefore, uh, submit to God. I love this. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, and draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Resist the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Resist the devil. But we sit there, and we're like Eve. And we dialogue with the serpent. She had no business dialoguing with the serpent. And, and then here comes Adam. And he says, what's up? He says, taste this, man. We're easily entrapped. And so we have to put that guard. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, we're in a spiritual battle. We're in spiritual warfare. And the enemy is not going to give up until we go home uh, to be with the Lord. Resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil and he will flee. Let me tell you something. On Saturday nights when I'm putting the study together, on Wednesdays when I'm putting the study together, I sense the greatest attacks on my mind and in my heart. And I'm trying to get God's word down. I want to give what God wants me to give to you. And I have learned through the years, I always have my Christian music in the background. Just high enough that I'm still able to think and the music's not overpowering me, but I hear the songs. Now, I don't play the rock and roll Christian stuff. I'm strictly Maranatha music. It ministers to me. It blesses me. It encourages me. I'm afraid if I put some of the hardcore Christian music, as I'm typing, I'm going to type off the table. So that's just me. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Uh, Cleanse your hands, you sinner. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. And the guys that teach here at the chapel, uh, they know as they're putting the studies together exactly what I'm saying. Because the enemy will come against you. Let's go back to our text. And here, towards the end of the chapter, we, we, we see the beginning. The distressing spirit that troubled Saul. In verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. How does this happen? How does the spirit of the Lord depart? It's when sin enters the camp. It's when sin enters the camp. I remember years ago, Pastor Raw teaching, uh, when I sin, when you sin, the Holy Spirit's in me, but he shrinks back. And he's not as effective in my life because there's sin. And so there has to be confession of sin. Uh, I'm going to deal with it more. Look at verse 15. And Saul's servant I said to him, this is Saul's servant now. He says, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Saul's di- uh, distressing spirit was very visible. They could see it. Uh, his demeanor changed. Maybe even his color changed. But all of a sudden this anger, all of a sudden this you know, grotesque looks or whatever. And I think we know exactly because sometimes we get in the flesh and all people have to do is look at your face. You know the best test when you're driving, not around here, but when you're driving to L.A. and you're on the freeways, I like sometimes I get off, pull over, let my wife drive. I want to watch the people. Oh, my gosh. I forget what it's like to drive on the L.A. freeway system. People are angry. The ladies are putting lipstick and they're driving and then they get angry. (laughs) Putting coffee and donuts and all, but all the cursing. Remember not too long ago, road rage was very popular and the road rage was, they were shooting each other. Well, they had to clamp down because this, people get angry. 
They cut you off. And I know some of you guys ride motorcycles, but that's who they want to kill the most. Those guys cut in and out, you know. And, and they think riding on those bumps is telling them they're, they're going on a straight line. Blah, 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 blah. You know, now, notice now, in verse 14 and 15, Saul's distressing spirit was visible. It was obviously uh, troubling him deeply. And so the Hebrew is telling us that the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with, and I believe this is true, depression, fear, doubt, so much. So his servants said, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. This is pretty sad when you come to it. And I'm trying to look at this, and I sense that the Lord spoke to me in 1 Samuel chapter 4. We were there just a couple of weeks back. Now, let me just take it back to you. The Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the Philistines. Eli's two sons, Hopne and Phinehas, are dead at the battle trying to get the Ark of the Covenant back. When Eli is told he's sitting on the log, uh, he's a fat man, and he falls off the log, and he breaks his neck. Then Phineas' wife is going to have a son. And when all of this happens, she was just dumbfounded. And so she calls the son, remember the name? Ichabod. Ichabod. And if you look at the word Ichabod in the Hebrew, the glory of the Lord has departed. This is what I see in King Saul. Now, the glory of the Lord departed from Israel at this time because the Ark of the Covenant was captured. And the Philistines had it. Well, the Philistines have their own problems. We know that. And they finally, you know, come and get this Ark. We don't want it. And they paid a price for it. But when her family's wiped out, when the son is born, and we see that in the Old Testament, a lot of times the names meant exactly what that person is going through. And so at that time, Israel, the glory of the Lord had departed. The Ark of the Covenant is not there. Now, here, the glory of the Lord has departed. The Spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. He had a special anointing. He's the king of Israel, but he has disobeyed God. Look at verse 16. Let our master now command your servants who are before you uh, to seek out a man who is skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play, play it with his hand. And when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, you shall be well. I'm thinking, what is Saul listening to here? I mean, he could get very angry and take it out on these guys. But he recognizes, I have a problem. I need help. And so they're trying to give him a good counsel. And how many times we've heard this, we're going to deal with it at the conclusion. Music uh, soothes the wild beast. Uh, we're told. And so at this time, uh, Saul is, is a wild beast. And so bring David in. That's who they're going to bring in. And David played the harp. And it ministered to, to Saul. 
But we're also going to see, uh, as we continue, he takes spears and he wants to take out David. And I could just see David, he just keeps pulling back and, you know, uh, lances are going right before him. God had his hand upon him. Notice verse 17. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him uh, to me. I like this divine appointment. It's going to be David. David is going to have the opportunity uh, to watch the ministry. David is going to have an opportunity to see what Saul does. Listen, and David will see, I'm not going to do that. And yet David made a lot of mistakes, made a lot of mistakes. Notice now in verse 18, then one of the servants answered and said, look, I have seen a son of, the, of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in, in playing. And then it says, now listen, I, David is not a full mature man yet. A mighty man of valor, a man of war, a prudent in speech, and handsome in, in person. And the Lord is with him. That's the key. The Lord is with him. Were these traits part of David already? I believe so. But they were developing. Remember that. Because David's still a young man. Uh, time uh, is elapsing. David's not a child. But he's not complete yet. Because he's going to put on the armor of Saul. And it's just going to be overwhelming. And that's why he uses the sling. But David's already skilled. David's already skilled. When you go back to the book of Exodus, I believe it's uh, chapter 31, when they were getting the specifications, they were getting the blueprints from God and the building of the ark, God told them, I want you to get spirit-filled men. These guys that had the hands to build. And I've seen it in our church. We have guys that, that are builders. And so... God gives us gifts. Recognize those gifts. And so, David, the skills are there. They're just being developed. In verse 19, therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me uh, your son David, who is with the sheep. He's tending the sheep. David is a young man, probably under 30, definitely, but he's very capable. King Saul knows of him. And this is another training spot for David. He tended sheep. And he learned all the mannerisms of sheep. And he took, he took out a lion. He took out a bear when they came after his sheep. And so David was well aware. And he was skilled in this area. Look at verse 20 now. And Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread and a skin of wine, and a young goat, and he sent them by his son, uh, David, to Saul. Hospitality was very uh, well practiced in the time of the Old Testament, especially the Jews. And, and you know, don't go empty-handed. Uh, take something to the king. And so this was a great, great gesture here. David came to Saul, verse 21, and he stood before him. And he loved him greatly. Would you underline that? Would you remind yourself? This is why David would not 
raised his hand against King Saul, even though God was going to take him down. He's already took down. I mean, the Spirit of the Lord is not with him, but the time hasn't come to remove him. But I like that it says here uh, that he loved them uh, dearly. And so that's very important. Uh, and he loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. And so David is there. And Saul has to trust this boy, this young man. But that doesn't stop him from trying to kill him. And we're going to see that. Look at verse 22. Then Saul sent to Jesse uh, saying, please let David stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. God has done this. David loved this king. One commentary said Saul was a hero to David. There was much respect there. We'll get to it. Remember when David is up on the ridge and he goes down into the camp and Saul is asleep and uh, David has the opportunity to take him out and he wants to show Saul, I love you, man. And he takes a knife and he cuts the edge of, of his garment and he shows it to him. And I could just see Saul looking down and he goes, when did you do that? When you were asleep. And so that shows us that, you know, he could have taken him out at any time, but he didn't. Again, he loved the king. He loved the king. Uh, look at verse 23. So it was, a conclusion here, uh, whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would uh, take a harp. Uh, now we're talking about that foul spirit. Uh, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. And then Saul would become refreshed. He would become well. And, and distressing spirit would depart from him. And so this is the ongoing thing. Now at this point, as we come to the end of the chapter, it, it sounds good. But Saul will try uh, to kill David. Especially when uh, he reveals to him that David has been ordained as a king. One thing to remember, David loved and respected King Saul. David never came against uh, his king. Uh, it was very important to him. I want you to uh, pay attention here. Uh, excuse me. Music, again, has a place and a time for everything. Uh, I found this on the internet, and one of the commentaries brought it out, so I wanted to make sure. Let me read it to you concerning uh, soothing of the beast. Concerning music has charms to soothe the savage beast. Uh, they consider it a true story. This has been literally proven. A musician was brought in play on his instrument while they were feeding a savage lion at the Tower of London. The beast immediately left his food and he came toward the grating of his den and he began to move in such a way as to show himself affected by the music. When the musician stopped, the lion returned back to his food and he began to eat again. And then the musician started playing again, and the lion would leave the prey that he was eating and was so affected uh, by the music, and this is what they wrote, that it seemed that his motions was the lion was dancing. 
Uh, it's probably advertisement for the Lion King, you know. But uh, it was soothing uh, this beast. And so this was repeatedly tried and the effects were the same. If the story is true, it's a great story. But we've often heard that term. Music will soothe uh, the average beast. I say average because uh, uh, you get some of these guys that are angry. I don't care what you play, you know. But it would calm Saul down for a season. And David, again, he loves his king. And he had the skills to do this. And so we need to learn from Saul. And if anything that we leave here tonight with is Saul was disobedient. Saul was disobedient. Okay, we, we read the Word of God. We study the Word of God. We come to Bible studies. And we have to do this. And that is to read and to study. And we pray. But if there's no application, it's meaningless. Hey, that sounded good. But we need to apply it. We need to apply it. And that's where obedience comes in. Lord, I, I want to obey you. I, I want to obey your word. I may not understand everything, but Lord, I want to obey your word. And be honest with God. You're struggling in this area. You're struggling in that area. Come to God. Lord, I got this anger. Get it, get it out of me, Lord. Be honest with God. He'll be honest with you. Lord, I got this drinking. Be honest with God. He'll be honest with you. Lord, I, I just can't stop lying. Be honest with God and he'll be honest with you. Give it to the Lord, whatever it is. I, I get it all the time from guys and girls. Well, I, I can't. Yes, you can. Well, Pastor Bob, you're different. No, no. He worked in me. He can work in you. Don't tell me you can't. If you truly give it to God, he can. I can't. You can't. But God can. All right, let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we worship you, and we stand in awe of your promises, Lord. Thank you for uh, the life of King Saul. Even though he was a, a miserable failure, we learn from it, we glean from it. And, and David was a man after God's own heart, but it wasn't without sin. He sinned greatly with Bathsheba, and then had Uriah, her husband, killed, so uh, Lord, let us learn from David, too. But David was a man of repentance. And so, Father, encourage us as we begin to get into the life of, of King Saul as a tyrant. And then also, Lord, uh, uh, we begin to see David being developed as the, the next king. And so, Father, speak to our hearts, minister to our hearts. Uh, we pray for the men's breakfast uh, on Saturday. Uh, Lord, uh, draw them in by the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying, Amen.